The Steelers need to let Le'Veon Bell walk this offseason. The one thing you do not want to do as an NFL franchise is invest significant capital, significant cap space in the running back position. This is a known precept. This is a solved equation. This is a universal rule of thumb across football. Investing in the running back position is a mistake. Just look at what the New England Patriots did. Signed LeGarrette Blunt cheap, 18 touchdowns. Drafted James White in the fourth round, should have been the Super Bowl MVP. Because running backs are more replaceable than other assets on the football field. They're more replaceable than cornerbacks. They're more replaceable than wide receivers. They're certainly a lot more replaceable than quarterbacks and edge rushers. So why are you investing in that position? You shouldn't. Ever. Ever. It doesn't matter if you have a generational talent like Le'Veon Bell. It's a suboptimal use of cap space to devote a disproportionate amount of money to the running back position. Period. There's no exceptions. So if I'm the Steelers, I let Le'Veon Bell walk. And then I draft Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, who is the next Le'Veon Bell. You watch tape of Joe Mixon. I'm not a film guru. I'm not a tape grinder. But I do watch condensed games on draftbreakdown.com. And when you watch condensed games of the Oklahoma Sooners, you are quickly introduced to one of, if not the best running back prospect in the 2017 draft, Joe Mixon. I have Joe Mixon before the Combine. Things can change, I know. Leonard Fournette could completely shred the combine and change my mind. But prior to the combine, and yes, I know, buzzards, I know Joe Mixon's not invited to the combine. Thank you already. Thank you for that. can already hear you typing. I didn't say that Joe Mixon was going to the combine. What I was about to say is I have Dalvin Cook 1, Joe Mixon 2, Leonard Fournette 3, but Leonard Fournette could jump Joe Mixon if he's outstanding at the combine. If his measurables are incredible, if he's a significantly more athletic version of Derrick Henry, then yes, I will slot in Leonard Fournette at either the one or the two position on my board. I have no problem doing that. But my guess is that Dalvin Cook will also shred at the combine, solidifying his place in that number one running back position. And if you go back and look at Le'Veon Bell's measurables, not a fast 40 time. His burst is well under the 50th percentile. So why is he so good? Because he's incredibly patient behind the line of scrimmage and his size-adjusted agility score was as good as we've seen in the playerprofiler.com database. Le'Veon Bell is the size-adjusted agility king. And I believe that that's what we're going to see with Joe Mixon. I don't believe he's going to blaze an upper percentile 40 time, but I believe his size-adjusted agility will be outstanding because Joe Mixon is 6'1", 226. I didn't realize Joe Mixon was well over 220 pounds because he played the satellite back role for the Sooners. Samaj P. Ryan was the between-the-tackles grinder, and he was also exceptional. Samaj P. Ryan is going to break the record at the Combine for bench presses by a running back, maybe across all positions. He might set an all-time record for any prospect at the Combine. He's going to bench a lot of reps. The record is 32 for running backs by Jarek McKinnon. Samaj P. Ryan could crush that number. He's a specimen. He's a unique talent. We've never seen anything like Samaj P. Ryan, but we have seen someone like Joe Mixon, and his name is Le'Veon Bell. And before the combine, the reason why I have Joe Mixon ranked ahead of Leonard Fournette is because Joe Mixon 
was exceptionally productive while splitting carries with Samaj P. Ryan. Splitting touches down the middle, he still caught 37 passes out of a split backfield in 2016. Caught 28 the year before. This is an electric satellite back. He is dynamic in space at 226 pounds. And when he received handoffs, 1,274 yards on 187 carries. That's good for 6.8 yards per carry. So he was exceptionally efficient between the tackles and outside the tackles and unstoppable in the passing game. That's Joe Mixon. As long as his athleticism is average, then he must be viewed as a top three running back talent in this draft class. So the Steelers can get the next Le'Veon Bell outside the first round. Pay him a fraction of what some team is willing to pay Le'Veon Bell in 2017. That's an optimal use of cap space. And why are you able to get Joe Mixon outside the first round? Character concerns. That's right, character concerns. The NFL Scouting Industrial Complex believes that it has a measurement system for a person's character. I don't. I can't look in someone's soul and tell you if that person is good or bad. I've done some heinous things in my life. Most of my good friends have also committed some pretty heinous acts, whether they be lewd behavior or violence, but I don't judge my friends based on their worst public moment, and I don't judge football players based on their worst public moment. But NFL scouts sure have no problem doing that with their arbitrary morality. And you say, why arbitrary? What are you talking about? It's not arbitrary. We have the video. Yeah, there's video. That's why it's arbitrary. If there's video, then football analysts insist that Joe Mixon doesn't deserve to be drafted. If there's no video, then we're fine with him going in the second round like Frank Clark two years ago to the Seahawks. We're fine with the Dallas Cowboys signing Greg Hardy. Why? Because there's no video. That's arbitrary. Also, for fans and fantasy gamers and draft analysts, the idea that you are going to invest in a violent sport, rife with immoralities, literally blood sport, players dying for your entertainment as the capillaries in their brains explode with these collisions. Your entertainment is rife with immorality, and you invest yourself in it with eyes wide open. I do. I assume everyone is. So if that's where we're at... How can we demand that Joe Mixon be punished by some arbitrary number of draft slots? Second round's too high, but you can draft him in the fourth round. The mob will be sufficiently satiated as long as Joe Mixon goes after draft slot 100. That is arbitrary. That is farcical. If you have reckoned with the fact that you are a fan of blood sport, then the idea that you believe Joe Mixon deserves some extra punishment on top of what he's already received, you can't possibly have a logical foundation for your position. And should the commissioner step in and enforce some additional arbitrary punishment on Joe Mixon? No. Why? Because the last thing that we need, the last thing the NFL needs, is for the commissioner to have more power. Yes. And again, I can hear the buzzards. Oh, Matt Kelly, he's in favor of domestic violence. <laughs> It goes without saying that domestic violence is wrong, that Joe Mixon committed a heinous act, that for at least a moment in time, Joe Mixon was a despicable human being. But I also believe that Joe Mixon deserves gainful employment 
within American society, within the profession that he's chosen, gainful employment in the craft he's best at, gainful employment doing the thing that he was born to do, and that's play football. And I object to the arbitrary moralities that I see so often in sports, particularly in football. You treat blood sport like it's a religion, and you anoint Roger Goodell, the high priest, make him the all-powerful one, correct the injustices, admonish the sins of the players, make us as fans whole again, Roger, with your arbitrary rulings. No. I'm not a fan of Joe Mixon or Joe Mixon's behavior away from football, but I am a fan of a consistent approach for a league to interact with its partners that they have a collectively bargained relationship with. And if I'm an NFL team, I am not passing over Joe Mixon in favor of a player with lesser talent. Why would I do that? I'm not optimizing the talent of my roster if I don't draft Joe Mixon in the second round. So if I were an NFL GM and Joe Mixon's on the board in the second round, I'm absolutely pushing the button on that. And if I'm the Steelers, I absolutely push the button on that because I hadn't signed Le'Veon Bell, not bringing back D'Angelo Williams. And the best running back I have on the roster is Fitzgerald Toussaint. Now, I need to apologize to Mike Clay because on the previous show, the Sonic Truth podcast that I host with Nate Liss, I mocked Mike Clay for having C.J. Anderson ranked ahead of C.J. Proceis and Tevin Coleman. And then I was instructed to look at the DLF Dynasty Rankings. Dynasty League Football posts Dynasty Rankings. They consolidate the individual ranks of numerous writers. They aggregate them into one set of overall rankings. And there I saw C.J. Anderson ranked ahead of Tevin Coleman and ahead of C.J. Proceis. So Mike Clay was in line with consensus. He did not deserve to be mocked for that. I had no idea that the consensus was that C.J. Anderson is a better dynasty asset than C.J. Proceis and Tevin Coleman. Like, what is happening? Uh, what's happening? This isn't one person at Dynasty League Football. It's not one person's crazy opinion. This is consensus. What world are we living in where by consensus, C.J. Anderson is viewed as a more valuable asset than C.J. Proceis and Tevin Coleman? You people have the wrong C.J. It's confounding to me. <laughs> so I was looking at these DLF rankings last night and comparing them to my own rankings, and I identified a handful of players where the rankings on playerprofiler.com diverged by the greatest differential from the DLF rankings. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings to get access to our dynasty rankings. I created a lifetime value calculation that powers those rankings. Something I've been putting together for the last couple of years based on the age adjusted production curve for every position, seeing where the age apex is, looking at a player's age, their previous production and efficiency, looking at that player's pedigree coming out of college, factoring these aspects of a player's profile, and then calculating a lifetime value. And that's what drives the rankings. Those are the mechanics behind the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings. So I'm very confident in our dynasty rankings. And over the last couple of years, our dynasty rankings have been prescient. Now, when you look at quarterbacks, we're actually higher on Carson Wentz by a significant margin than DLF. That was shocking to me. We're lower on Ben Roethlisberger because I am genuinely concerned that Ben Roethlisberger's body is breaking down at a faster rate than other quarterbacks his age, like Phillip Rivers. 
So Ben Roethlisberger may be retiring in the next couple of years. These hints that he's at least unsure whether or not he's coming back. I don't believe Ben Roethlisberger's bluffing. His family is growing. He has plenty of money. And whether or not he comes back and plays football next year is a legitimate question in his mind. So for that reason, I can't have Ben Roethlisberger in my top 10 dynasty quarterbacks. But it's interesting. The player where I diverge the most from dynasty league football is Alex Smith. I still have Alex Smith as a top 20 fantasy quarterback. I see Alex Smith as having longevity in the league. He made the playoffs again last year. But the differential between Alex Smith on player profiler and Alex Smith on DLF, over 10 slots. So they hate Alex Smith. They hate him. Dinkin' Dunker, Alex Smith. I will say that as he gets older, Alex Smith will run less. And one of the key reasons why Alex Smith has been such a successful streaming candidate in fantasy football is because of his sneaky rushing ability. Now, at the running back position, there's some significant divergence, starting with Tevin Coleman. Double-digit differential between where we have Tevin Coleman and DLF. I'm only mentioning the players where we have a double-digit differential. So, for example, if we have Tevin Coleman at 8, DLF would have to have Tevin Coleman at 18 or lower. So those are the noteworthy players I'm going to list today. But it's interesting, with LaShawn McCoy, we still have him as a top 10 dynasty running back. DLF does not. I wonder if DLF's been influenced by pro football focus. LaShawn McCoy is not a fan of pro football focus. Oh, no. This is what LaShawn McCoy had to say about Pro Football Focus yesterday. You guys suck. A bunch of nerds who never played a lick of football in your whole life. What a cliche insult to lob at Pro Football Focus. Nerds. Bunch of nerds. What do you know about football? Did you play? Jocks versus nerds. LaShawn McCoy peeing in his jock zone so that the nerds don't come near him. Because the nerds suck. Sean McCoy. Can't argue with Deshaun McCoy's play on the field, though. Last year, 5.7 yards per touch. That was top 15 in the league. On more than 5 yards per carry. His breakaway run rate, 20-yard runs or more per carry. 8.5%, top 5 in the league. 80 evaded tackles, top 5 in the league. On only 15 games. 28% juke rate, evaded tackles per touch. That was top 20. 87.9% catch rate. That was 2 in the league. 22.7 production premium, top 12 in the NFL, yards after contact per touch, 1.5, top 10 in the NFL, top 5 in touchdowns, yet the Buffalo Bills were outside the top 20 in run blocking efficiency. So LaShawn McCoy was exceptionally efficient last year, despite the fact that the Buffalo Bills were not opening up wide running lanes for him. So you could argue that LaShawn McCoy had a more impressive season than Ezekiel Elliott last year. So why is he mad at Pro Football Focus? Does Pro Football Focus not see this? Did Pro Football Focus give LaShawn McCoy a bad grade? In that context, how could you possibly give LaShawn McCoy a bad grade? When you look at the total picture, LaShawn McCoy was one of the best running backs in the league, and you could start to build an argument that he was the best running back in the league other than David Johnson. Just big play after big play on that low-volume offense with poor run blocking. Well, you could at least argue that 2016 was LaShawn McCoy's best season of his career. Not according to the counting statistics, but according to the efficiency metrics, yes. So suddenly I'm caping up for LaShawn McCoy. I thought I was going to cape up for Pro Football Focus. Then I went to LaShawn McCoy's profile on playerprofiler.com. I started feeling bad for LaShawn McCoy. 
I also noticed no one caping up for Pro Football Focus on social media. Why is that? Maybe because Pro Football Focus banned the public from its signature stats, only to bring them back after a PR disaster and massive user blowback. They brought the signature stats back at an exorbitant price. I would rather Pro Football Focus just not bring the signature stats back at all. Because this egregious price they've now tagged their signature stats with, $249 a month, that is offensive. And by the way, thanks for reducing the price by that extra dollar. It's not $250, it's $249. Yeah. No, that's nothing. Oh, I thought it was going to be $250. Woo! $249, done. No! They have zero customers at that price point. $249 a month comes to $3,000 per year. That's egregious. That's more egregious than what hospitals charge insurance companies for toothbrushes. You've seen this. Q-tips in the hospital, on the bill. They're charging the insurance company $40 per Q-tip. $80 for a toothbrush. $100 for socks. That's the equivalent of what Pro Football Focus is charging for stats. We have a stats service, data analysis, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, where you can query any metric on the site. Show me a list of all running backs sorted by yards per touch. Show me all wide receivers sorted by contested catch rate. Show me all quarterbacks sorted by under pressure completion percentage. We charge $40 a year for that. $3,000 a year, $40 a year. $3,000 a year, $40. Like, what? Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless you're pro football focused and you do not give a shit whether any person accesses your signature stats because they're not designed for the public. Sports Blogger X is not your customer. So just take the service down if that's the case. $249 per month is an affront to the sensibilities of every football fan and fantasy football enthusiast. And LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy was objectively great last year based on every efficiency metric that we track. And if Pro Football Focus graded LaShawn McCoy poorly in 2016, which I doubt they did, but if they did, they need to rethink their entire process. Now, Dynasty Rankings. You can guess the players where playerprofiler.com and Dynasty League Football diverge the greatest. We're on the running backs. We talked about Tevin Coleman, CJ Proceis, large disparity there. Incredible disparity on Duke Johnson. You have to have Duke Johnson in your top 30. You have to. We have him in our top 20, but you just have to have him in your top 30. I mean, come on. We like Isaiah Crowell a lot more than consensus. I wasn't ready for that. I thought we had Isaiah Crowell rated the same as everybody else, but we apparently really like Isaiah Crowell. We don't like Lamar Miller. I don't see Lamar Miller as a top 10 dynasty running back. I think he's in the top 10 just because after the first five or six running backs, a lot of dynasty league rankers just shrug their shoulders. Nah, I don't know. Who had the highest opportunity share last year? Oh, Lamar Miller. Ah, oh, fine. Is he still young? Yeah, okay. Put Lamar Miller in there. Any other reasons? Not really. We're much higher on Jarek McKinnon. We're much higher on Devontae Booker. We disagree vehemently on Thomas Rawls. I don't understand how Thomas Rawls can be ranked ahead of CJ Proceis. Like, I don't get that. CJ Proceis is a phenomenal prospect, and when he received touches, he wowed people. Thomas Rawls was a below-average prospect, and during his time in the league, he's been largely inefficient outside a handful of games. 
So, <clears throat> CJ Procise is super versatile. Thomas Rawls is a one-dimensional grinder. Again, <clears throat> I mean, Thomas Rawls needs a good run-blocking offensive line to be effective. And the Seahawks had the worst run-blocking offensive line in football last year. So they need C.J. Procise back there, the more nimble back who can find creases and crevices in the defense and get upfield and can be active in the passing game. That's C.J. Procise. It's not Thomas Rawls. Latavius Murray's a top 20 running back on Dynasty League football. Please, please. We have him outside the top 30. We also disagree on Charles Sims. We're much more bullish on Charles Sims. But the player we disagree the most on was an upset to me. The running back position, we diverged the most on Shane Vereen. We still have Shane Vereen ranked in the top 40. Dynasty League football does not. We also strongly disagree on Doug Martin. We have Doug Martin outside the top 40 now. He's well inside the top 40 by consensus on DLF. And of course, C.J. Anderson. Strong disagreement on C.J. Anderson. Strong disagreement on T.J. Yeldon. I don't think T.J. Yeldon has a future as an every-down player in the NFL. And if you're not an every-down player in the NFL and you're a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, what value do you have? Uh, Spoiler alert, not much. I think Darren Sproles has more dynasty value than T.J. Yeldon. But DLF disagrees with us strongly on both T.J. Yeldon and Darren Sproles. Now looking at the wide receivers... Strong disagreement on Golden Tate. We still have Golden Tate ranked in the top 30. Why not? He's 28 years old, and I think his game will age well. He's an explosive playmaker now, and then as he ages, he will become more of a possession receiver, but still relevant. The number one wide receiver for a high-volume offense. There's nothing not to like about Golden Tate at this point in his career. He's a player you should be targeting. The reason I'm going through this exercise is so you can see the players where player profiler and Dynasty League football diverge the most. And these can be off-season trade targets. Because the great thing about Dynasty League football, it's why I subscribe, you can see how the majority views these players. How does the market value Golden Tate? So you should absolutely be going to DynastyLeagueFootball.com and subscribing to their Dynasty rankings so that you can see how the market values players and then propose trades accordingly to exploit what you may believe to be a market inefficiency. Find the players that you like much better than consensus and propose win-win trades. I talked about it on this show that I've been doing this recently. I'm in a league that requires me to cut down from 28 to 18 players to facilitate expansion. So what did I do? I went through this exercise and I ended up trading for players like Duke Johnson, we talked about earlier, and Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt has the largest disparity from playerprofiler.com to dynastyleaguefootball.com. Huge. It's a huge disparity on Willie Sneed. Huge disparity on Malcolm Mitchell. We're significantly more bullish on Sneed and Mitchell and Britt and Cameron Meredith than the consensus of DLF writers and analysts. Now, the greatest disparities with Kenny Britt, and I already traded for him in that league I just mentioned, I also traded for Marquise Lee in that league. I traded a non-first-round pick and Larry Fitzgerald, who I was going to cut anyway, for Marquise Lee. And the owner who traded me Marquise Lee posted a message on the message board apologizing to the league for executing that trade. I just had to accept it. He proposed it to me. Please don't be mad at me. I got an incredible deal. I just fleeced Matt Kelly. He's clearly player dumping. Don't be mad at me. All I did was accept it. I had to accept it. I mean, he proposed it. I mean, clearly, if you go to the DLF rankings, you'll see that Marquise Lee sucks. I got a pick for free because 
the DLF rankings have Larry Fitzgerald ranked significantly higher than Marquise Lee. Hey, I just got a free pick. Except we strongly disagree with the Marquise Lee ranking. Why? Because Marquise Lee was good last year. What are we missing with Marquise Lee? Anybody? How can Marquise Lee not be viewed as a top 40 dynasty wide receiver at age 25 with an exceptional draft pedigree coming out of USC, 35.5% dominator rating, 65th percentile, and an early 19.8 breakout age. So he's athletic, got that 10-15, 77th percentile catch radius, was a dominant college player. And then last year, supplanted Alan Hearns and became the number two option for Blake Bortles. If Blake Bortles can somehow, some way, rejuvenate his career, or if the Jacksonville Jaguars bench Blake Bortles and start Chad Henney, in either scenario, Marquise Lee will be even more productive than he was last year, last year in which he scored double-digit fantasy points per game with Blake Bortles as his quarterback. His target premium last year, plus 14.9. That was 16th in the league. The target premium is one of my favorite metrics because it factors out quarterback play. It just compares Marquise Lee's per target productivity to the other receivers in that passing game. No Jaguars receiver had a target premium as high as Marquise Lee. Why? Because Marquise Lee is a good receiver who suffered numerous lower body injuries in his first two years in the league. He found a way to get his body healthy, get his body right. And then what we saw last year was the Marquise Lee we saw at USC. And I see no reason to believe that that Marquise Lee is not going to perpetuate into 2017, 2018, 2019. We have three more years of Marquise Lee's prime ahead of us. Why not buy him now when the consensus does not appreciate him? That consensus that has Alan Hearns ranked considerably higher than Marquise Lee for no reason whatsoever. Marquise Lee, a far superior draft pedigree and a more productive and efficient 2016 season. Yet he's ranked behind Alan Hearns. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make any sense. Why? Don't ask why. Just submit trade offers and accumulate as much Marquise Lee as you can possibly get your hands on. Now, I like Josh Doxson, but I don't like Josh Doxson as much as DLF likes Josh Doxson. Still a lot of question marks about Josh Doxson, but apparently the people at DLF have no questions about it. They're certain that Josh Doxson is the truth. That surprised me. I was like, how are we so much lower on Josh Doxson? Significantly lower on Randall Cobb because Randall Cobb has been exposed as a replacement level wide receiver propped up by Aaron Rodgers. So that's not a player I'm investing in in Dynasty. We feel the same way about Devontae Adams. But with Devontae Adams, we agree with DLF. There's consensus between player profiler and Dynasty League football when it comes to Devontae Adams. I was impressed by that. There's numerous rankings on the DLF rankings in which I was pleasantly surprised that we agreed. But still, plenty of players where we disagree. We're much lower on Will Fuller because I'm not so sure that Will Fuller is a good player. I need Will Fuller to show me. I need proven performance from Will Fuller. Not just going to prop up his ranking based on draft capital alone. That's one of the drivers behind these divergent ranks between player profiler and Dynasty League football. Dynasty League football weights draft capital much more heavily than Roto Underworld. So we like Kenny Britt and Marquise Lee significantly more than consensus. We are much more bearish on Kelvin Benjamin, Kevin White, 
and Laquan Treadwell than consensus. We're bearish on Kelvin Benjamin because we need to see efficient football from Kelvin Benjamin. I haven't seen it yet. And until we do, we're not going to have Kelvin Benjamin ranked in the top 50 wide receivers. Kevin White and Laquan Treadwell have done exactly squat in the NFL. Squat! So how could you rank them in the top 40 wide receivers? I don't know. People do. Lots of people do. The consensus ranks Kevin White and Laquan Treadwell in the top 40. We have them outside the top 60. One player we like significantly more than consensus, which is interesting, a player that you can quietly accumulate in Dynasty Leagues, Pharaoh Cooper. Pharaoh Cooper projects to be the number one wide receiver for the Rams this year, not Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin is not a number one primary receiver for an NFL franchise. That's not in Tavon Austin's range of outcomes. He can't be that guy. He's never been that guy going back to his time at West Virginia, and he never will be that guy. However, Pharaoh Cooper was that guy. He was the primary option at South Carolina, and I believe that he can be that this year, assuming the Rams don't draft a wide receiver in the first couple rounds. Now, I think the Rams will draft a receiver in the first couple rounds, but as we've seen the last couple years, a lot of these wide receivers drafted in rounds one and two do not ascend in year one. And that will allow Pharaoh Cooper to be the target share leader for the Rams in 2017. Just three tight ends I want to mention. Will Ty, Austin Safarian Jenkins, and Eric Swoop were ranked much lower on DLF than playerprofiler.com. We are still ASJ believers. We are still Will Ty believers. And I think Eric Swoop just happens to be way under the radar at the moment. If he has a good training camp, I think he's going to rise quickly on the DLF rankings. So so go get Eric Swoop now before he has an impressive minicamp. Austin Safarian Jenkins is a curious case, though. So many analysts in Dynasty love to chase the draft capital. You see it with Kevin White. You see it with Laquan Treadwell. But not Austin Safarian Jenkins. Here again, the arbitrary moralities. He was busted for a DUI, so we need to push him way down the rankings. He must be trash. Well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers released him. He can't be good. Well, he was a second-round pick and one of the best tight end prospects of the last decade. Nope, not a top 30 tight end. How does that happen? Because the majority of Dynasty League enthusiasts and Dynasty League analysts overvalue the opinions of draft scouts and overvalue the opinions of NFL player personnel executives. This is how draft capital becomes an overvalued input factor. And this is how the community can overreact when a player is released, like Austin Safarian Jenkins or Jay Samaro. Because the assumption is player personnel executives know what they're doing. They don't make mistakes. They're professional talent evaluators. Who are we? We're just Dynasty League football enthusiasts. We're just fantasy footballers. Tens of millions of dollars per year are invested in the scouting industrial complex. They're the experts. They must know something. So if they're willing to draft a player in the first round, he must be good. If they're willing to cut a player in training camp, he must be bad. And I disagree with both of those assumptions. 